0: Welcome to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson, Bill Jack from Worldview Academy with me as well. And we open it up for our listening audience to write into the program at host at generations.org. And I try to address as many of these as I can on the program. And Bill, we had several notes came in. Sort of surprising that uh, there was some takeaways from my recent program on the rise of paganism, especially as it affects small towns. And here's one of them that came in. I really appreciate the broadcast on Friday regarding the rise of paganism. It was especially significant in light of the fact that a nearby town, small town, one in which we drive through nearly every day, And must pass through on a way to church is hosting its annual Witches Night Out Festival tomorrow. The small town of Volant, Pennsylvania, with a population of merely 124 people, was overrun with more than 14,000 people last year who attend the event. They host a Harry Potter fest, uh, the home of a brick-and-mortar occult store named Wicked Little Witches. Been praying against these things personally every day for the past year. Brought it up at the church prayer meeting, my husband and two other men from our church as well as one other man are planning to go to the event tomorrow to witness for the Lord. We have written against this on the social media posts, of the organizers, and personal pages to try to raise awareness of the reality and danger of this demonic activity. Very disturbing to say at least to see the influx of blatant wickedness to this degree and the cavalier acceptance of it, especially in a small, rural, mostly conservative town, right down the road from Grove City College. Equally disturbing that... Uh, there isn't much to, of addressing this issue from pastors from the pulpit, um, so that's part of the concern. And basically, she's saying that uh, you know she thinks that the pastors should encourage uh, or warn the flock about this, boldly and courageously speak out against this satanic celebration within local towns. Also, one more letter from our listening audience. I just finished listening to Friday's broadcast about paganism here in our small town of Didsbury, Alberta. We have a relatively new paganism store, which we are praying against. We could do that more passionately. I think last Halloween, we saw a group of women dancing down the downtown boulevard in full witch garb. We smiled and waved. They smiled and waved back. A party, I thought. Then in January, the store opened and occurred to me that those were likely real witches coming out on their special day of the year. As we approach Halloween again, I think it would be good to have a track to be given out in the trick or treat bags, warning of the dangers of paganism. And the answer is Jesus. All right. So that comes from Alberta. So a couple of letters from folks living near or in small towns, in Canada and America, and they are as affected by this as we are here in uh, Colorado. So, Bill, I mean, what do we do? We pray, absolutely. Right. And, and, and we have prayed ourselves. And on not just one occasion, but two occasions, we've seen a, a diminishment. And, 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 and some of these occultic stores closed. Um, and I find that within our community, Bill, it has everything to do with not just one church, but multiple churches coming together and multiple pastors coming together. And, and aggressively, with faith, and with um, with a strong sense of God's truth and with a filling of the Holy Spirit praying against uh, these demonic strongholds in our community. And I think that's appropriate. Right. Even as the pastors and leaders in your community stood against the rise of transgenderism, right. we need to do the same thing with this witchcraft thing. Yes. And it, it's interesting
1: because you said it was... A community of 120 and yet 14,000 people showed up to celebrate. That's what she said. And uh, so there, there is that, you think it's insignificant. You know, oh, there's only a few people that are participating in this. And then they have the celebration and it draws crowds. And that's why you have to be proactive. You have to pray diligently before such an event. You have to just be
0: Active and never let your guard down. And I think a lot of Christians and reformed churches, conservative churches, Baptist churches, they don't realize that these spiritual forces are real and they're not resisting them. We're called to resist the devil and he's to flee from us. Greater is he that is with us than he that is in the world. And we need to believe these things and we need to do everything that we can in prayer, in faith. To oppose it, to preach against it. And you know, they'll they'll say, we're just it's, it's it's just a lot of fun. It's just we're we're just, you know, pretending. Of course, that's what the devil does. The devil's as deceitful as he's always been, especially when we deal with matters of the occult. No, this is the real deal. And we're not pretending the devil is unreal. now, now they may pretend that they're pretending that the devil is not real. But they're certainly giving credence to him mm-hmm. as they celebrate Halloween, his major festival, the day of the dead and the, the day in which people are obviously celebrating death mm-hmm. and uh, skeletons and demons and witches and so forth. They're giving credence to these sorts of things as if, no, no, these are evil things and they should be resisted by God's people everywhere. Uh, we don't want witchcraft in our communities. No. We just do not want it. Unless you really want the curse of God to come down upon your community, I think we should pray against it. And Ephesians six twelve,
1: Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. You don't necessarily go down and protest the the store the occult store. You can, okay? You can, but you need to be, you need to gird up your loins in prayer. You need to be prayed up before you do that. Yeah. Well,
0: believe it or not, we're not just, we're not just bringing this out as some kind of hype, but the statistics have been pretty clear on this, that the Halloween business in America has doubled since 2007. It's Mm -hmm. gone up from $5 $5 billion to $10.6 billion since 2007. You can find all the news stories online if you'd like to. But yeah, the, the fact is Americans are head over heels in love with the devil and his holiday. And they're less and less enamored with the church. Hey, at the same time, the, the Halloween budget has doubled. Church attendance has fallen in half in this country. And that's because, well, there is an enamorment with the, with the devil. And with the malevolent form of, of evil. Also, it's very interesting that uh, the box office this last weekend, the number one film of the nation was Exorcist, Believer. Number three was another horror film. And number seven, yet another horror film. So horror films took three out of the top seven positions in the U.S. box office which means it's roughly half the economy right now. It turns out market share on horror films increased from 4% to 11% in 10 years up to 2022. But now, in 2023, it's looking like about half mm. of the offerings in the box office are demonic-inspired films like The Exorcist. Also, the numbers of witches in the U.S. have increased from 8,000 in 1990 to 340,000 in 2008, now exceeding 1.5 million. As of 2020. now my guess, Bill, is that quite a few of those in uh, 1990 would not have come out of the closet, so I'm guessing there might have been a little bit more witchcraft than just 8,000 witches in 1990. but whatever the case is, they're out of the closet at this point. Now it it's has become main
1: lines, become acceptable. And you see that in, uh, in public schools as well, in the state schools is that Wicca is a popular movement. You know it is the paganism. It is the witches, and uh, students get involved in the occult because there is the the, the lure of having power over their circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the more despairing the circumstances, the more they desire to see, we need to have some control. And so the occult is very, very seductive because it offers the, the appearance of having power, but you're giving yourself over to something and, that's, and, that's evil. And, and,
0: and Satan wants the perception that he's got... All the power, he's sovereign. And that, of course, is the theme in these horror films. But not for Christians, to acknowledge that at all. When the devil wants to bother Job, he has to ask the permission of God in order to do that. When the demons fill the man of the Gadarenes, they uh, they squirm and and screech and holler in the presence of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who's walking the earth in the year 33 AD. And they plead with him that... Cast them into a herd of pigs, and Jesus just says, Go. Obviously, Jesus, far above all principies and powers, and the devil has nothing, absolutely nothing on him. And now, in his exaltation, we as well, in the name of Jesus, can resist the devil. Absolutely. Be back with more in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. Hello, my friends. For the last 15 years, the Generations team has produced a Christian curriculum specifically for families who want to give their children a God-centered, Bible-saturated, Biblical worldview-based education. Our commitment is to restore the Christian faith, generational faith in an age where we are losing faith in this country and almost anywhere around the world, where Christian children attend secular schools or use secular curriculum and imbibe secular culture. Now, we're not relying on the pre-Christian Greeks, for an educational model here. We're not relying on the post-Christian secularist for the education model either. Our curriculum is based in a biblical worldview. We put hundreds of Bible verses in the history books and integrate the truths into the subjects. We want to glorify God on every page of the science books. We immediately integrate knowledge into life application and natural revelation with special revelation. We keep Christ at the very center of the history books with preparing the world for Jesus and taking the world for Jesus. I believe God is calling this generation in this highly secularized age to a radical change in how they disciple their children. Please check out our program for education of your children and grandchildren at www.generations.org. All right, we're back on Generations. Kevin Swanson with you as will Bill Jack. And Bill, number one film in the nation right now, and I guess it's apropos because Halloween is coming. It's Exorcist believer, mm. and now sixty-five percent of Americans celebrate Halloween. Well, seventy-eight percent do decorations, and you've seen these gigantic monsters now in front yards of so many people. You know, fifteen, twenty-foot monsters, and just celebrating all that is evil. And um, I recall when I first we first moved here to Colorado in the eighties.
1: That there was entire neighborhoods up in in the metro area that that would put out numerous decorations for Christmas, and people would drive by. It was it was almost like a a, a parade of cars going by to see the decorations for Christmas. And now you see that for decorations for Halloween.
0: You do. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, this uh, this this movie, and I don't. I obviously didn't see it. I don't have any interest in seeing any of this stuff. But uh, but the worldview conveyed in it is, is pretty straightforward. In fact, you can pick this up on the movie review sites. The typical hapless Catholic priest shows up. He's powerless to cast out the demon. The sons of Siva exorcism department is always in trouble. Right? Remember the sons of Siva who show yeah. up and and the demon said, "Jesus, I, um, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you?" And that's and that's pretty much what happens up, in these right? movies. Yeah. yeah, that's what happens in these movies. Um. But the worldview of these movies rejects the sovereignty of God. That's the bottom line, as if God does not have the power to overcome these demonic evil. So, and that's the story. The yeah, story be, is there is no sovereign God. So, at that's best the worldview. It's view.
1: a Zoroastrianism. There's a, the, the evil God and the good God. and yeah, they we're fight not sure it out, who's so. going to. never sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. never
0: sure. Yeah. So, the worldview rejects the sovereignty of God. Humanists, actually, the psychologists, are doing better. You know, this time around. Yeah. So remember, the first exorcist did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I didn't watch the first exorcist, but I've seen the reviews and an- analyzed it. It's part of my book, uh, The Tattoo Jesus on pop culture. But it's, the story is that, you know, a priest who actually isn't a very faithful priest anyway, I guess, in the Catholic Church is incapable of casting out the demon.
1: Right.
0: And so he's overwhelmed by it. Well, in this particular movie, the the humanists are able to somehow, you know, rid of the evil at least temporarily until Exorcist Three comes out. They always yeah. come back. Yeah, you know? they right. always come back.
1: Well, you clean the house.
0: Yeah, yeah, they come back. Right. Out. Yeah. They come with back. a vengeance, right? Yes. Every time. Uh, there are references to pagan occult efforts to stop the demons as well. So the references to that, as you mentioned. And the demon-possessed girl knocks over the communion elements in church and shouts the body and the blood repeatedly to disrupt the service. And then the demons mock the people who are often using Christian means to try to cast them out. So the demon is having a good time. you know. So, so this post-Christian age has succumbed to service and submission to the devil, and that's the fact that it was happening. Also, you have these three worldviews that collide in these films. Now, let me talk about these three worldviews. There's the sovereignty of God. Okay, there's a sovereignty of man and that's humanism. Okay, that is man can overcome often by teaming up with one another and they can overcome by means of human wisdom. Okay, that's humanism. Or there's the sovereignty of demons or the spiritual forces. Now, of course, the sovereignty of God loses out in these post-Christian bad humanistic worldviews. So the whole idea of the horror genre is what to fear evil, mm-hmm. and what you fear is what you worship. It's what you worship,
1: and there's there's the adrenaline rush in horror movies. It it you you get this adrenaline rush, and so you you want to go back for the next high. So they're very addictive, and and horror movies have that addictive effect, so that you
0: go back for more. Mm-hmm. Well, evil keeps reappearing over and over again. And as the communicant participates in the idolatrous service in the theater, submitting himself to the fear of evil and thereby submitting himself to the power of the evil, he responds in the appropriate screaming and worship, I guess, the screaming becomes the worship. So so evil keeps reappearing in these movie franchises, and, and that's in order to present evil as omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. There's this omnipresent sense of evil that you can't get away from it. That's why Freddie keeps coming back in Friday the 13th. I think he comes back, well, nine times in Nightmare on Elm Street, 12 times in Friday the 13th. And paranormal activity uh, clearly attributes unlimited power and control to demons, allowing for no hope whatsoever for Christian exorcisms. So, of course, there's no Jesus. There's no Christ to crush the head of the serpent. There's no resurrection. There's no casting the demon, the beast into the lake of fire at the end, and there's no sovereign God. So, what does that mean? It's all up to me. Or the demon. Yep. And And, I'm in despair. Sometimes I win, but I really don't win. Why? Because Freddy Krueger keeps keeps coming back. back. Jason keeps coming back back. in Halloween. Right. Right. So, friends, best case, there's the fear of man, which means what? That somehow man by psychological means is able to overcome the demon world. And that itself, of course, is just another demonic lie. Mm. All right. Well, friends, you say, well, how do we get to where we are today? This has been on the rise for about 300 years. And I bring this out in a new chapter in Epoch, the rise and fall of the West coming out in about three months. The major driving force that opened Pandora's box. I would say, now I trace it. I trace it. I trace it to the rise of the occult in the Italian Renaissance, and indeed, there was a rise of the occult. There was a lot of bad things that happened with the recovery of astrology and uh, some of the the, the Greek and uh, Roman forms of the occult. They brought it back into the Italian Renaissance. The Italian Renaissance was a terrible time, very dark time. In fact, they talk about the Dark Age as being the Christian age. Actually, the Dark Age is the Renaissance. Yeah. The Renaissance was the Dark Age. Right. Thankfully, there were Christians doing things in the 900s, and 1000s, 1100s, 1200s, 1300s. It was the 1400s when the Dark Age began. Yeah, there was a long period of
1: stability. There was. In many ways. And
0: then you get the Reformation that's turning the lights back on in the 1500s, yeah. thankfully. And then, okay, so how does this happen? How do we see this opening of the Pandora's box into our societies in the Western world? Well, first it comes by Italian Renaissance. Then it comes by Adam Weishaupt and the Illuminati in the three, 400 lodges in France and Germany in the 1760s, 1770s. If there was ever the darkness of Mordor that came over Europe, Bill, it would have been the French revolution. It would have been, I mean, the 1760s and 1770s was probably the biggest nightmare that no. uh, uh, France ever saw, or that the Europe, Western Europe ever went through a terrible terrible time with Adam Weishaupt and the, uh, the nightmare of the Illuminati and the reintroduction of the the opening of Pandora's box into France and then the revolution that followed. Then the next major effort to bring this back into the Western world would have been upstate New York in the 1790s up into the 1820s and 30s and 40s. Upstate New York would be the next place in which the demons congregated. Not sure why, but it became the hotbed of the occult beginning in the 1790s with the Shakers and others. And uh, by the time you get to Joseph Smith in the 1820s, Joseph Smith is the founder of Mormonism, but by the time you get to the 1820s, Joseph Smith, his basement is full of amulets and occult materials and such. Okay, so that's, that's no secret. Everybody knows that his family was totally absorbed in the occult. Also, you have the Foxes, right? Margaret and Kate Fox and all the mediums collected in upstate New York as well. And that's where the American cults got their start. So if you want to know what the demons were doing, they were very busy in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s in upstate New York. Okay, so now, what's the next step? How how do we get to where we are today? The next step, I would say, Bill, would be rock and roll and the pop musicians of the 1960s. Now, I outline all this in my new chapter in Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. But uh, primary songwriter for biggest pop group of all time, The Beatles, John Lennon, for example, testified to his musical performance in these words, it's like being possessed, like a psychic or a medium. I felt like a hollow temple filled with many spirits, each one passing through me, each inhabiting me for a little time and then leaving to be replaced by another. Marian Faithful, also living girlfriend with Mick Jagger during the early years of the Rolling Stones, testified in her autobiography how the group had unleashed dark forces into the world. Here's the quote. Out of these destructive impulses, Mick Jagger created the incredible persona of the late 60s, the midnight rambler Lucifer. That frenzied power caused many of the casualties of the 1960s. Certainly Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison. But Mick didn't destroy himself. He learned to channel it. Hmm. And then lead guitarist Keith Richards told Rolling Stone Magazine in 1971 that everyone should give Satan a try. There are black magicians who think we're acting as unknown agents of Lucifer and others who think we are Lucifer. Everybody's Lucifer. Forty years later, Richards still admitted to the UK Independent that, quote, I'm probably more aligned to Lucifer and the dark side. So I give many examples of this, um, uh, probably 15 examples of this, and these were the top musicians of the 1960s i mean we're talking about the people who sold upwards of a billion albums during the 1960s and early 1970s so really the kickoff of rock and roll most definitely included satanism there's no question and the for the most part i get this from the secular biographers i'm not getting this from some kind of you know fundamentalist you know preacher type or whatever no no The cultural revolutionaries experienced what appeared to be the complete domination of a satanic power in their own lives during the 50s and 60s. To this day, secular historians of the rock and roll revolution, they just don't know what to do with the endless stream of stories detailing the satanism, infatuation with the occult with these people, the sexual abuse of young girls, the drug abuse, the suicides, attempted murders, homosexuality, adultery, and other unmentionable behaviors that so characterize the lives of these cultural vandals and pop culture stars of the 1960s and 70s. Here was a deadly cocktail of devilishness, unrestrained sexual license, power and fame, and drug abuse. Okay, so that's just a segment uh, from my book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, The Rise and Fall of the Spiritual Life and Power of the West. Um, So, Bill, that's the history of it. Again, it starts all the way back into the Renaissance, works its way into the Enlightenment, and then up into New York State, and then eventually into the rock and roll revolution of the '60s. And, that's, and the that's occult it. is always accompanied by by
1: drugs, and by sex. So those those three go uh, go together all the time, and and it's uh, it's seductive, and again, it has the power or the appeal of power, the appearance of power that we can control our own destinies, and then you become a slave to it. And
0: I think people need to realize that you don't turn around an entire society without some incredibly strong spiritual force that brings us about. I mean, a single person can't turn around an entire society in 50 to 60 years to create the devastation we have today across the entire Western world, really around the entire world, without some incredibly powerful spiritual force coming to bear upon it. So, so you're, you're
1: talking about a conspiracy theory now, right? Yeah,
0: but the ultimate conspiracy theory is, is that yeah. Satan got involved. But let's remember also that, that Jesus overcomes this and he robs or, or utterly devastates the strong man's house. Uh, and he's still doing that around the world right. today. We need to remember that. Nevertheless, let's not get caught up In these satanic uh, programs that seem to be so powerful in our day-to-day, let's be sure that we arm ourselves with the whole armor of God. Let's make sure that we are engaged in the spiritual warfare at every level. Let's make sure that our churches are filled with prayer and we are engaging this warfare in our homes, in our churches, in our businesses, everywhere. Bill, this is a full-court press. And, And one of the things I want to say is I think we have to have a strong sense of our faith of our own worldview. We can't see this as a neutral thing. We step out into the world. If you don't have your own worldview down well, you're going to probably wind up amalgamating into some the the, the ungodly worldviews. You're not going to speak up for your worldview out there. And, and you can't just turn on the God button when you're engaging with an unbeliever or in the movie theater. If If, if you haven't been walking in the truth of God's word, up to that point, if you're not absorbed in the, the truth of Jesus's words and, and just surrounded or swimming in the reality of God and his redemption in Jesus, and that Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, he's resurrected, and we will rise as well at the end. If that's not your perspective for the last five, six hours, and you walk outside and you try to interact with somebody who has a counter worldview, you're probably going to collapse on the spot. It's going to be at least extremely awkward if the God button isn't really on in your life, except on Sunday between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. You're going to be in trouble out there. That's all I'm saying. Right, right. It
1: has to be a conscious, concerted effort. You have to, you have to walk in your worldview. You have you to go.
0: walk in faith. That's okay? it. That's it. Well, that wraps up this edition of Generations, friends. If you'd like to understand more on popular culture and especially. The question of the horror genre and how to analyze movies. It's what I deal with in the tattoo Jesus, what the real Jesus would do with pop culture. Again, it's just one take on it. and uh, But be sure you're discerning and careful. Be sure you're equipped with your worldview first and foremost. And that's also why I wrote the book Worldview, what we believe, what they believe and why they're wrong. As a means of, of really rooting and grounding young people in a Christian worldview before they engage the culture. That book is called worldview available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.